Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kendall Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Uh, This is episode number 463. We actually have sort of a a unique guest on. Um, uh, We're going to be talking about uh, OneStream and their journey to Azure um, with Brian Berry, who, if you've been a longtime listener to the show, Brian was on back in the days when he used to work for us here at Microsoft. Um, He's doing something completely different these days, but still using Azure. So we thought it'd be cool to have him back to, you know, talk about how um, his new company is using Azure. uh, Sajit, I'm joined here today by Sajit, and we are recording this on uh, May 31st, so getting ready to go into June. Um, so Sajit, we had a super busy week last week with Build, like tons and tons of announcements. What, what do you want to highlight? Yeah, as a matter of fact, it's so much. Uh, they create the usual book of news uh, that they do every year, and it is like a, you know a gigantic website that just keeps scrolling forever. Uh, but uh, we'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes. Uh, I did, uh, and you know, I think we'll do like a proper roundup of some of the bill news. Yeah. But I wanted to just provide a few tidbits just to whet everybody's appetite a little bit here. Uh, obviously, the big star, as we all know, is uh, you know the, uh, the AI and the ML capabilities built into Azure, and a lot of that is has come into Azure Cognitive Search, right? So. Uh, vector databases have become a big thing now. Uh, when you, especially if you want to do uh, queries across uh, graphics, uh, text, images, uh, you know, video, uh, to be quite, to be able to do queries across all of that, you really need like a special database. And vector databases are the way to go so, with these large language models. So uh, Azure Cognitive Search now includes uh, you know a vector search. Also included is uh, in Azure Cognitive Search is a uh, service for language. And this is the ability to be able to create summaries. You know, again, we saw all the various uh, demos, but if you have to do that in a very customized way using your own data, uh, maybe you can just create a summary of a document or a piece of text or something to show to the user. Uh, that's now available in Azure Cognitive Service for Language. Uh, some of the other things I think uh, were demonstrated were prompt flow, which we all know is the new way to go for prompt uh, engineering. Uh, then, you know, importing foundational models which open source into Azure AI ML, uh, to and then tweaking them for your own uh, use. So that's uh, you know a nice way to get started. And of course, just monitoring all these models, right? I think we need a way to do that. Uh, Microsoft Fabric seems to be the big. Uh, Kahuna now, you know, that that kind of encompasses Power BI, uh, Data Factory, and Synapse, you know, kind of all uh, blended together in an easier to use, seamless experience. So uh, something uh, definitely uh, uh, in the right direction there, because it used to be kind of confusing with all the services in the past. Uh, you never knew which one to pick. And so now it's a lot better. Then uh, we have um, uh, for Cosmos DB, there's a bunch of updates. But the one that I particularly like is called Materialized Views for Azure Cosmos DB NoSQL. And this just kind of allows you to, if you have, if you have queries that uh, span various containers in Cosmos DB, typically, you know, you'd have 
uh, penalty for doing some sort of cross, uh, you know, cross container query and whatnot. But now you can create this materialized view if you know you need that information uh, quickly available, and then you just query the container, the materialized view, right? So it's something that any uh, SQL. I know you're nodding ahead, Evan, but in SQL we always have this. I think now it's uh, yeah. become uh, available into Cosmos DB as well, and they've added some nice uh, enhancements for monitoring Cosmos DB, which is always a challenge. You know, you always want to know where your queries are, how much time they're taking, and where the problems are. So they've got good integration now with App Insights into the .NET and Java SDKs. Um, DevBox is something I think we really need to talk about. We never had a show on that, but certainly want to take a, a more detailed look at that. Uh, and then uh, the one that uh, we're talking just before the show, uh, CBL Mariner. Uh, uh, Evan, I think you had uh, you were kind of referring to that CBL Mariner, uh, uh, which is uh, the base operating system that we use for all of Azure Core, is now available as uh, um, a container host in AKS. Yeah, right. we had we had Jim Perrin, I believe, on to talk about that. You know, probably a year or so ago when they were just releasing it, they they weren't releasing it for sort of general customer use, but it's been open source. Forever. So it's great to see it start surfacing. Uh, you know, we're tiptoeing towards right more and more scenarios where customers can actually use it for sure. Yeah, and it's a very slim, you know, uh, highly uh, optimized uh, yeah. operating system. So just perfect for AKS workloads. And it's just an option now in AKS. You can just say, I want to deploy it with Marina. Uh, they call it Azure Linux, uh, you know, it's a special term, but uh, it's really CBO Marina. And uh, let's see, Azure Functions, of course, you know, we all love that. Uh, now it's easy to deploy containerized Azure Functions into ACA, Azure Container App. So that's an easy uh, uh, kind of plugin that they've uh, uh, developed just to kind of make it easier to use Azure Functions everywhere. It's easy Functions, of course, uh, can be written in any programming language. We did find out recently, though, Golang is still, Golang and Rust are two of the languages that are not fully natively supported in Azure Functions, believe it or not. Uh, you can still write code for Azure Functions uh, using uh, like a custom mm -hmm. extension or whatever they call it, uh, but uh, it's not like there's no SDKs for that. But all of the languages are Azure Functions SDKs, so uh, certainly yeah, something to take a look at there. And uh, yeah, there's more, but uh, I just kind of listed some of the quick highlights there. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a ton. Like it, it's just trying to absorb it is is all hard. So, but yeah, no, it's a great roundup of, of some of the good ones. I'm sure we'll talk some more. Um, you know, at this point, let's let's transition over to you, Ryan. Ryan, if you could um, introduce yourself and then tell us what you do for OneStream. I'm so used to always saying, "Tell us what you do for Microsoft," but in this case, <laughs> tell us what yeah. you do for for OneStream. Yeah, who OneStream uh, is? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us on. So, um, uh, my title is uh, a senior vice president of architecture, which um, it sounds fancy in of itself, but basically, basically my, I have a team of individuals who. Um, address a number of different facets of our platform. And I'll talk a little bit about what we do in a second as well. But uh, first on my team, what we're focused on, or what my team is focused on is uh, driving forward a lot of the cloud native capability or, or making use, effective use of cloud native capabilities to allow us to be more nimble in the market, uh, to be able to do things more rapidly, you know, innovate more rapidly, uh, you know, at, at lower cost and and also, you know, deliver higher performance to our customers. And what are our customers? So our platform is, uh, um, it, it's, um, and we, we've kind of, we're slowly evolving this into more spaces over time, but, but our core competency is what we call corporate performance management. So uh, what does that mean? So if you think about, uh, a a uh, 
large conglomerate or maybe like an auto manufacturer that's got divisions in Europe, Asia, and U.S., um, you know, when it comes to reporting your financials and, and, and you're publicly traded, when it comes to reporting your financials, uh, they have to be audited, uh, you know, traceable in terms of, you know, where, where you snap the line in the sand and, and what currencies do you want to use to be able to report, you know, some of these downstream subsidiaries of, and it gets more complicated when, when, you know, we have customers who have uh, partially owned subsidiaries, you know, maybe they have, you know, 70% ownership. So all of those variables and factors become really complicated um, when it comes to reporting earnings. And then you think about, you know, all the way down, like, you know, using a manufacturing, uh, you know, company as an example, um, you, you know, you're building widgets and you've got, you know, suppliers you're buying stuff from, you've got engineering labor, you've got, uh, you know, fuel that you're buying for fork trucks and a plant floor. All of those things are part of your P&L, but you don't report those on what you, what yeah. you, uh, you, you serve. So when it comes to, um, you know, taking all of those out those inputs that are part of your P&L that you do report, those, um, there's a tremendous amount of compute power needed to be able to make, you know, to bring forward what those answers are. Slice and dice it, slice it where you need to. Okay. Okay. So that's what our platform uh, does and what our customers use it for. And obviously, once you start getting into the office of CFO, you can do other things for helping customers plan for, you know, capital life cycle, you know, capital project. You maybe want to build a new plant in a different region or a new market. Um, So if, if, you know, if the customer has some of that information, you know, financial intelligence landed in one stream, we can actually help facilitate them in doing other things beyond just, you know, reporting earnings and, and uh, you know, doing forecasts and planning and that sort of thing. So, okay. It's a okay. Bit about- so, so, so it's, I mean, it sounds like you're a really classic sort of style of software in that you're providing a service to your downstream customers. They could, they could care less how you're architected. They could, you know, care less, you know, sort of where it's sitting. I mean, I, I'm guessing in days past, yeah. you used to be like installed in, in their data center. But yeah. at some point, y- y'all made the decision to sort of move to to Azure. What, you know, yeah. what did that look like? I think when you and I were talking before, you actually said, you know, there was some talk about building data centers at one point. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully that didn't happen. You know, you got y'all are on Azure. But like, like y'all have been through the whole journey of, hey, we're, we're in customers data centers to maybe we'll have our own. So now you're doing your your SaaS. I assume it's uh, basically a SaaS service yeah, yeah, at this point. The SaaS SaaS offering and and it's a it's a uh, you know materialized uh, uh, flavor of what we deployed in the on-premises space because okay. we still have some um, some customers who deploy and what we call self-hosted models. So it could be yeah. not necessarily always on-premise, but it could be a different cloud provider and, and that sort yep. of thing. And we're slowly inching our way away from from doing that to be able to kind of allow us to more rapidly innovate. But to answer yeah. your, your your questions, um, uh, there actually is a little bit of care, um, and I, which actually goes back to why I'm glad and, and thankful we didn't build out or make decision build our data centers ourselves back <laughs> you know, five six years ago. Um, because and there is um, preference from our customers, you know, in, in Europe and Asia in particular, where you know data sovereignty is really important. Oh yeah. Where yeah, that's big deal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, particularly when you're dealing with like, you know, it was deemed sensitive information, you know, like, you know, keys of the kingdom, right? Yeah. You know, that are the, the data our platform possesses is often, uh, you know, insiders would love to have access to that type of information yeah. before earnings are reported. So, um, anyway, th- those those um, those sorts of of challenges do exist with the way our customers deploy, and and certainly there's another thing that's that's interesting that our customers need is is um, access to 
questions in a quick manner. So, um, you know, when you when you're you know coming down to the wire to report your earnings, they want to be able to you know run a bunch yeah, of yeah. There's no shifting that date at that point. That date is fixed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so you need a lot of compute power for that to be effective. So. Yeah. Ryan, I was wondering, uh, do you, is this something that you offer? You said SaaS, uh, but is this something that you offer like a single multi-tenanted uh, service or uh, do, do customers like have the option to buying this like from the Azure marketplace, you know, and deploying it to their own environment, right? Uh, so what's your definition of SaaS here? All, all excellent questions. So today, um, we, you know, because you know, we we have a a code base is supported in the on-premises world as well as in in Azure. So it is it's it's a SaaS platform and that we manage it on behalf of the customers, but it is per uh, you know deployed per customer. So you know total complete isolation from customer customer. We'll talk a little bit about some of the challenges with that um, you know, that presents and and at scale. Um, you know certainly not the scale that. That you Microsoft has to deal with in the Azure world, but but you know for uh, you know uh, you know mid market customers such as us, it certainly you know presents challenges. But then um, you know there uh, we do exist in the Azure marketplace, um, so that's actually a uh, a delivery vehicle that customers can actually procure one stream as you know using their their Azure commitment or commit to consume, um, and and it's not deployed in the customer environment because we actually manage it uh, and and have automations. Uh, because we have, uh, you know, we have some FedRAMP uh, jurisdictional operational practices we have to abide by, you know, much like, you know, you all with Azure. Um, and because of that, uh, you know, we have some some operating practices and some surrounding stuff we have to put around customer environments that, um, you know, that require us to, to you know, have an element of, of control over that so, it, so we can check the box that it actually is in, in fact adhering to these levels of compliance that our customers expect. What I mean, you know, the data sovereignty is is a big piece, right? Because yeah. you know, outside of the hyperscalers, realistically, it's really hard for any random company to you know have data in all the places that their customers might, might live. But you, you know, with does you know, are y'all leveraging you know the CI/CD capabilities of Azure? Are you you know, are you very, you know, VM based? Can you talk about sort of some of the, yeah, the architecture? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so we, um, we use Azure DevOps heavily uh, okay. and, and uh, you know, for our core engineering, you know, that's what we use for our, our source repositories. Um, you know, I, um, you know, GitHub is, is maybe on the radar, but to potentially look at uh, in the, in the future, but we have a lot of investments on our CI CD pipelines. So that's kind yep. of the thing, honestly, this this holding back from sort of doing anything different in that space. But it it um so we have lots of automations to be able to deploy in the engineering environments, test environments, to be able to run uh you know run um you know, automated tests against, you know, a particular release. And likewise, our cloud engineering team that actually supports us operationally, our SaaS footprint, uh, you know, they too have uh, make use of of um, you know CI/CD pipelines, uh, but they have a different uh, a different angle that they look at things with. They they use Terraform because they're they're uh, they're focused on deploying a lot of the infrastructure required for customers. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, whereas in, in the engineering world where, you know, we have, you know, uh, you know, build environments, QA environments and, uh, and automations that run those, the, the, autom- the, you know, the tests against those, you know, NuGet packages, our own NuGet packages yep. that we have tests to run yep. So all of those things kind of demand and dictate that they have different types of CI/CD pipelines and what, what our engineering team uses. But, but they, at the end of the day, you know, still kind of the common thread that's used across, uh, you know, across the, order, the functional organizations. Yeah, Ryan, I think you said earlier that you used to be, and by the way, uh, can you shift a little bit to your right a little bit? Your, yeah, yeah, that's better. Yeah, there you go. You're, yeah, you're sorry, more I, was gonna, I was going to break in in just a minute as well and ask that. <laughs> no worries. Uh, yeah, that, that's better. We can see a whole face instead of just half of it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, you mentioned that you used to be uh, primarily uh, like on-premises or, you know, that's yes. how the, uh, the kind of the product started and then you kind of, made an Azure version of it. Yep. I'm just curious, like, are there any, uh, you know, what was the path like, right, to, to, to kind of make this uh, a cloud application? Uh, I don't want to say cloud native, maybe it is cloud native, but, you know, to move yeah. to Azure, uh, you know, what were some of the kind of things that, you know, you've been through this, in your Microsoft life, uh, you, you kind of went through that process, but I'm wondering how uh, a company, an ISV, like OneStream went through that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so because we actually do have a platform, there's a lot of flexibility that our customers have with our platform. And, and, and when I say platform, we literally have an IDE in our product that actually allows customers and partners to extend what our product does to be able to customize it to their their needs. Um, and we have partners that build solutions on top of our platform. So, why that's relevant is that. Uh, that there's a tremendous amount of power and flexibility that comes along with that for things like, uh, to, you know, using some .NET library that that you know we don't include as part of our core platform. When you're running an on-prem world, it's fairly easy to do that. You can just copy it onto a server, um, and you know. So we have you know customers who, who you know know who have grown to expect and and admire that level of power, but then. You know, when it comes to the cloud world, you know that level of flexibility is is hard to extend to a customer in a self-service model. Um, you know, hard to impossible in some cases. You know, if there's levels of compliance that we have to abide by. Um, you know, so so the, you know certainly there's some some challenges with that and taking a, a, an on-prem product with a lot of power and capability or flexibility, and being able to still allow as much of that flexibility as possible in the cloud world. So so th- those were you know certainly some. Some challenges, and then you know, there's a, the challenges where you know, you, you we might have an on-prem, or we do have some on-prem customers who have, uh, you know, we have a relational data, data store that, that drives our product, and you know, SQL Azure is what we use in a cloud, um, and we have customers who have SQL servers that are gigantic. And when I say, you know, like, you know, this HP Superdome, like, you know, it was ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I remember those. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, that, then you have a level of of comparison to an environment like that, you know, where customers are already running on-prem, and they're like, well, gee, it's a little slower in the cloud, and, and it's, it's uh, you know, but, but there's not <laughs> never a Never heard like, that. I've never yeah. heard that in my entire life. Never heard <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> so, the, so it's like, how, how do you how do you compete with that and get get that customer interested and compelled to, um, you know, and, and paying all the advantages they have and being able to maybe provide them compute capacity on demand and, uh, you know, eliminating some of the maintenance burdens they have, you know, so you have kind of these, you know, these, you kind of compete with yourself a little bit for some of those, those, those sorts of things. But, um, uh, but for all intents and purposes, you know, we, we took our, our core 
you know, product and um, and and binaries that support that product, and, and just kind of lifted and shifted into that, you know, largely infrastructure as a service world, and kind of going through some transformations to try to evolve that over, um, you know, um, you know, bo- for both our benefit as well as customer benefits, uh, you know, to kind of to to make more effective use of you know cloud native capabilities. So it's like a more more like a monolith at this time, and. Uh... And you're kind yeah. of looking at how you could kind of tease out some of the pieces that making it more modular, more yeah. uh, friendly yeah. uh, for the cloud. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. Yeah. Don't don't share that yet. That's our future show. He's coming yeah. back in August to, <laughs> oh, <sorry about laughs> to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, uh, the you know I I heard you mention it um, earlier too, Ryan, which I wanted to drill into a little bit. Like one of the things that you know in on premises in the on premises world, like if you've got a Superdome. Um, instance that you're running your SQL Server on, you are running a Superdome 24/7, 365. Like that's yep. what you have. Um, ha- have y'all been able to, you know, because typically this stuff requires minimal code changes to take advantage of scaling, scaling out, scaling up, some of the flexibility of the cloud. I mean, and that's hopefully yeah. that's sort of how you're able to entice people to come in as well. But yeah, yeah. So, so um, you know, with some of the flexibilities and being able to you know, put custom DLLs and that sort of thing. Like we're we're trying to to you know uh, still accommodate you know some levels of customization, mm-hmm. uh, be able to allow a customer to take better advantage of the cloud to be able to expand and contract as opposed to uh, you know having lots of snowflake environments you know yeah. that that are, yeah. are painful to administer. And then then you know we have uh, you know there's some backup operational things that have to kind of come along with that to be able to make it. Um, you know, to be able to address any sort of DR challenges, but if if your if your environment is the same for every customer and you don't have any customizations, obviously that operationally makes you so much more efficient and allows yeah. then allows you to do things like you know when a customer is coming to the end of a quarter and they need to run a bunch of additional scenarios for consolidation, like we can provide them that horsepower without having to say, well, you know, somebody's got to create another another you know virtual machine for you yeah. to be able to do that. So. Yeah. so so that you know, that, and that's where some of the flexibility and benefits can be provided to a customer that might have, you know, an amazingly powerful SQL Server, but maybe you know the surrounding stuff that their application runs on, you know, they're never going to be able to achieve the scale that the cloud can right. provide to be able to allow them to bump up. Uh, unless oh, that's right, because you've got the app servers that go with the SQL Server, right? And those, yeah, exactly. yeah, those are you're probably not going to have a Superdome for those. Yeah, right? exactly. Even though you might need it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I'm wondering how you, uh, you know, how you use uh, security and authentication in Azure, right? Do you make use of Azure AD, or uh, is that a custom? You're still using the, you know, the on-premises custom yeah. authentication. So you know, it's funny, um, and I, I that when you think about it. Something as simple as a username or password is like the most complex thing in the world to to, to address because they're you know every customer has different ways of uh, dealing with it and, and you have different identity providers you know Ping, Okta, Azure AD. So we have to be supportive of, of all of, any and all of those you know SAML and all, all of these different identity providers. Um, so. Um, so what we so we have a kind of a mix of things. So we uh, obviously we support Azure AD, um, and we have AD tenants for our deployments that we use internally. And I kind of talk a little bit why that there's some significance there. But then, um, then we use um, uh, Identity Server, which is an open source you know uh, provider that that's available for um, 
uh, you know, in, in .NET uh, to be able to kind of accommodate. And then there's a lot of veneer kind of wrapped around that to be able to make it easy for customers to configure things. The idea being that they can they can, can they can jack that into a variety of different identity providers, and 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 we have to be supportive of whatever you know whatever that they um, right. you know, like or comes with. So, and and if you can imagine, like we have you know, holding companies that actually have lots of other entities that they own and they've decided purposefully to keep all those companies separate because they, they might, you know, spin them off or, uh, you know, sell them. So, um, and, and because of that, there's lots of additional challenges that come with identity because I've got, you know, maybe a CFO at the holding company, but then you've got all these like, you know, finance oh, people. Oh, totally different identities. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, you, so there, there's lots of challenges that kind of come along with, with identity, which like I said, is, is, is still funny to me to think about the fact that it's username and password, but it's, it's really freaking complicated when it comes out. So, so you, have, you have like federating, federating scenarios and whatnot. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 And then, you know, we ourselves have to maintain, you know, again, kind of going back to the compliance side, you know, we, um, you know, our environments have to be controlled. So, um, you know, like any other SaaS provider. So, you know, when when an operational person needs to make a change to that environment on behalf of a customer has to be associated with some sort of ticket the customers created. And then, um, you know, there's, you know, privileged access given to that person only to that environment based on, a, you know, with the ticket being the key to unlock it. Um, and those are, you know, all audited things. It's really not any different than a lot of challenges SaaS providers have to abide by. But, you know, so that's more of an internal construct that we have to deal with to be able to allow us to operate a customer environment versus how our customers are authenticating into our environment. So. And was that a, a, a big challenge to, to get customers to buy into the cloud model, you know, knowing that they have to, because I'm sure they have, those customers also have to uh, Adhere to their financial standards, right? In using this product, uh, and so you know, previously, of course, they had it on premises, or they're like, okay, it's on, it's on our control now. It's running yeah. somewhere else. Uh, you know, what's going to happen? It's interesting. Interesting you say that because um, you know, my my prior role at Microsoft, I, I, I did have some uh, some experience working with OneStream before I, I I came here, and and why that's that's relevant and worth mentioning is that the financial services space, I think, is kind of a laggard when it comes to yeah. technology because of some of the things you just mentioned. So, you know, uh, you know, think about, you know, movie studios or computational fluid dynamics, like these workloads that need lots of compute power, like those are really easy early adopters for them to kind of see, you know, gee, this, you know, the cloud absolute makes absolute sense. But in the, in the finance world, you know, particularly, you know, when you're dealing with you know, keys to the kingdom numbers for for organizations or you know financial details. Like there is a a a level of concern that kind of surrounds that type of data in in terms of you know who has access to it, what can be done with it, you know what controls are in place. So um, why that's all significant is that there was you, we had to prove to our customers, and I think other financial you know SaaS providers like us also have to do this to prove to your customers that that you have. Uh, you know, levels of controls and, and, and compliance in place to be able to protect their data and, and make that not a concern. Um, and it, and it, it very much is a, a, a joint effort between us and the customer. You know, we talk about identity providers, like, you know, their, their identity providers have to be, you know, have MFA and those sorts of things to be able to make sure that, that you know, that, that some 
a bad actor doesn't uh, doesn't have access, you know, from you know another. You know, they're typically logging in the U.S. and all of a sudden some you know rogue login appears from you know some other country in Europe then or Asia, yeah, to to trip that you know maybe they they should be prompted for MFA to be able to block their access. Right. So, so it's, it's it's a shared level of concern between how we operate the customer's environment and then what sort of things that they have in place to protect access to their data. Because ultimately, that's where their IDP comes in to be able to, to you know, help be part of that equation. The the other thing that caught my my attention when you were talking about the compliance requirements, right? And and you know, I think yeah. the financial industry, the medical industry, I mean, there are definitely some industries that are super tightly regulated. Yeah. Um, and and one of the things that you know I've heard customers talk about in the past was trying to sort of change their compliance stance, how they manage it on premises to and you know to how they're managing the cloud did did you find that you know were you sort of breaking new ground with some of these or were you able to leverage some of the compliance that that azure has to sort of you know use in a transitive fashion to pass through you like where how did that story end up working so that actually is also going back to my earlier comment about being glad that we didn't build out data centers oh yeah because then you would have had to do the compliance yourself i'm really thankful we didn't do that because it would have been um there's an element of of um of uh, you know the the entire owners onus would fall on us to be yeah. able to you know uh, yeah we still have stock audits and stuff that we have to abide by but when it comes to like physical access controls and uh, you know access to you know to, you know d- d- data at the data center level and all, all of those operational constructs we can ride on the rails of Azure so that's hugely beneficial for us for sure. Um, you know versus us having to invent that or or to have to deal with that um, and then. And deal with it at scale, which is all a whole nother animal. You know, just building you know, building a, a a one-off data center might be you know relatively easy, but then you're know, doing that at, <laughs> at massive scale with the capacity needed to address your customer environments is is, is a whole nother ballpark or, or uh, um, you know concern rather. The um, uh, and then you know we build on top of that. You know, we have our own ISO uh, you know uh, compliance certifications. You know, in the yeah. SOC. Uh, stock audits and then you know Fed Ramp, Fed Ramp High. Like we have our own our own attestations that we have to buy by because we operate those environments. But but you know to a large degree you know there's there's you know many components of that that are checkboxes because yeah. we're still on Azure. So yeah, it was a, you know it was kind of uh, interested interesting to hear that you're using Azure DevOps as your kind of main uh, deployment mm-hmm. pipeline. I think you said you use Terraform for the infrastructure and then. Uh, the application engineering uh, software gets deployed using pipelines. How does this work across so many uh, deployments that you have? Right, I'm just, I'm just more like a question because I, I've never seen customers use it. I don't, I, like, I don't know what uh, uh, what the capacity of Azure DevOps is to handle that many deployments. Right, I mean, I'm sure there's, I, I don't want to put numbers, but I'm sure there's many hundreds of deployments that you have to do. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, maybe more. Uh, and I'm just wondering, like, how do you, you know, was there any challenges using Azure DevOps for that? Yeah, so, um, so not necessarily challenges, but with the, with the tool, but certainly when you think about infrastructure at, you know, at, you know, uh, you know, just call it, you know, get close to that 2,000 customer mark, and then the environments, you know, some of those environments are really big. Um, and, and, and what that means is that you can't, when you're touching them, you you can't just touch, you know, it's not just one piece of infrastructure. It's a whole bunch that you have to touch to be able to to do anything in that in that particular environment. Um, and that's kind of where that cloud scales comment I, I made earlier that is going to be hugely beneficial to kind of make that more efficient. But um, so certainly 
uh, you know, what Azure DevOps can facilitate is the ability to run, uh, you know, PowerShell and Terraform uh, across customer environments, you know, to be able to do some of those automations. Like, uh, there's no way we'd survive if that wasn't automated. Um, you know, so, you know, just with the the, the plethora of, of, you know, what that physical landscape looks like with the number of VMs that we have in our fleet, it just, it would be an impossibility to, to, to manage, you know, without that. So, um, uh, but, but through, we have some some infrastructure we deploy into those those single tenant environments that allow us to be able to to invoke you know these these management operations against that customer's environment in a controlled way, uh, which that also means that there's infrastructure that we have to support to be able to make that possible. Um, whereby you know in the cloud native world we can eliminate some of those elements that you know out of the equation and make it even more efficient for us to do things. Uh, but yeah. today it's 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 a large large amount of PowerShell. You know, with some infrastructure to be able to support that DevOps and and so, so you see, you must have like a number of agents or whatever the Azure DevOps agents uh, and yeah. because I can imagine if you have to do a software update across all of your environments, uh, yeah. I mean that's that's a lot of deployments, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, many many hundreds of deployments that you're doing, yeah. and you don't want it to take like you know a week to do that uh, because right. you want to make sure they're all uh, up you know in sync, right? Everyone's in sync yeah. with the correct version. So yeah. you want to have, so that's why I could, that was a question yeah. about, you know, like how do you do like so many deployments uh, that have to be done quickly? Like, you know, do you scale up your number of agents when you need them? Do you have like some sort of auto scaling there uh, that you use? I'm just curious. Yeah. So, um, you know, there, there's some outage windows that our customers today, and this is talking in, in the world today that, that um, for, for a couple purposes. One is to be able to, you know, take on a new version of one stream. And, and there's some technical reasons behind that, because when you think about things like uh, I mentioned SQL Azure database, you have to upgrade that. You have to, you know, apply a new schema to that. And you can't do that necessarily while things are running against it. So, um, you know, so when I, and, and it also seems this actually uh, some interesting information that um, for SaaS providers, really uncommon to have a version um, and, and uh, we have to because of the space we are in. So if you think of going back to my comment about audited financials, so you have an auditor coming in saying, you know, what what did you use to calculate these numbers? And, and what is the, you know, and they has to be proven that the underlying, you know, software that- Well, that's right. The software can't change because yeah. it changed. Yeah, you're right. So there has to be a correlation between yeah. what is actually, you know, what is produced to- you know, to the market or, or, you know, your audited financials that, that you're maintaining if you're not publicly traded, like they're, they're, the auditor comes in, they want to be able to, to reconcile that. And then also, likewise, when, a, when an upgrade happens, um, you know, there's a partnership between us and the customer, they have to then, you know, do that in some test environment and validate that the, you know, bring auditor back in and say, yeah, these numbers are the same from last quarter, or the quarter before, you know, so, so that actually introduces a whole nother a whole nother challenge when it comes to upgrades because um, it because we can't just roll it out across our fleet as much as we would like to um, you know so so there is a a version number kind of you know bound to, to you know what we have deployed um, we're trying to figure out some ways to be able to make that a little bit easier for us and, and also provide that level of control but but um, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so I just wanted to say one thing on that uh, yeah. point, uh, Evan. Uh, you know, this is really interesting because uh, I, so this is falls uh, under the concept of a bitemporal database, right? Where you have to be able to uh, make sure that your calculation is tied, uh, can be go, you can go back in time and 
and see things exactly as they were back in time. Like, yeah. um, and uh, the reason is interesting because I, I you know, I, I wrote a, a paper, an IEEE paper on this on this topic uh, just a couple of years ago uh, on bi-temporal <laughs> database for this very problem. You know, yeah. uh, so uh, it's like, oh, wait a minute, I just. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you got to yeah. include the link, Sajid, when we. I'm dying to know the the because I didn't even think about the versioning problem because yeah. you know I, I don't I didn't have experience with that scenario before although I've I've run into it now that you describe it it does does the cloud make the versioning problem either harder or is that just sort of about the same I'm just sort of curious like does it enable so, it or mm -hmm. or so I, I think yeah, it, I don't know. It, yeah, so that's a good question. I, I think that there's a couple of answers to that. I think that that one is it makes it easier for the environments that we control because when when there's customer environments, as you all know, you know, it's especially you know, and I've been working in the support world when customers yeah. have their uh, you're dealing with the wild wild west out there. Please, and, please, 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 yeah. okay one day. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> exactly. So there's an element of consistency, I guess maybe would be a good way to answer that. You know that that okay. when it's living when, when it was under the auspices of our control. Um, yeah, obviously there's there's gremlins that appear, but for the for all intents and purposes, it's is you know mostly consistent and and you know the with the you know the exceptions that you have to kind of troubleshoot off on the side. But um, so so certainly adds an element of ease because of all the automations mm -hmm. that we've put in place mm -hmm. that address a lot of the issues that have arisen over the years. Um, and then uh, you know the, and you think about that going forward, like there's you know what if if you know there was a way to just uh, you know, kind of go into that herd mentality, you know, like if, if you could just easily, you know, swap in, you know, V next into that customer's yeah. environment very rapidly, you know, in a couple of seconds, having those environments materialize, um, you know, as opposed to, you know, kind of the, the more heavier handed, you know, virtual machine based approach. Yeah. Like, I, like that, the, there's some powerful constructs that the cloud affords us that um, you know, can can accelerate that going forward. The, the database side is still the interesting challenge because that, you know, if you've got customers with, you know, hundreds of gigs of data, you know, how do you, the schema updates on that is, is, um, is a challenge, but that's actually where, where, you know, other database constructs like schema and read and, you know, no SQL, yeah. you know, non-relational stores become really powerful to be able to help facilitate that. But in the relational world, that, that, that's kind of a, that's still a thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, no, this, this, this is great, Ryan. It, it's, it's, it's sort of interesting to me to hear you talk about this because when we used to run into each other, there was always something was really broken and it was a different customer every time. And you know, you and I were sort of learning it on the fly. So it, yeah. it, it's it's sort of neat to hear that this different perspective. Any any last you know at, at, you know for the audience's benefit, we will have you back in a couple of months to talk about yeah. sort of where you're going to go architecturally. But any any sort of last gotchas or guidance that you want to give the audience about you know, as they think about moving to the cloud or, or things they should be thinking about there that you you sort of learned after yeah. you moved over to OneStream, right? Because yeah. it's a different I, perspective. I, yeah, I, I, I would say, you know, automate as much as as you can. And and, and sometimes to you know, that lift and shift is a way to get you to the cloud very rapidly. Yeah. But sometimes it, it it's does. It's going to hurt sometimes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and sometimes you have a long tail of things to address afterwards. And and I think that if you just take a step back and maybe think about, you know, is there a different receptacle to put this application into? Is there a different way to host this application? Is there a different way to maybe just 
kind of eliminate the whole infrastructure element of this application and just kind of focus on you know whatever the workload is and 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 you know be able to you know materialize vir you know virtualize infrastructure when needed without having to um, you know to have something you have to patch and back up and maintain like if you can automate away some of those things or, or maybe just totally eliminate and make them not a concern um, then yeah it, it, and sometimes the level of effort is just a little bit more to be able to do that and, and I think that would be you know something that is worth the investment of time. I'm sensing a containers conversation. In yeah. <laughs> and all I yeah, yeah, containers, scale sets, you know, and yeah. any of those, those constructs, yeah. Yeah, certainly. Okay, awesome. Well, no, Ryan, it's, it's, you know, it was great to run into you again a couple months back. It's great to have you on the show again, um, okay. you know, and, you know, appreciate you coming on. All right. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Bye, folks. Yeah, bye. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, Find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.